So, after a nice break in the league calendar to make way for the internationals, we are back looking at the Premier League, looking at world football, which I think is a bit more interesting than, than England's usual run-of-the-mill three wins against piss-poor teams in the qualifiers. But we are here to talk about the week and just analyse. I'm Ross Evans, always as always with my co-host Dan Newton. Hello. And today we're going to be talking about something a bit different, because usually we stick to the Premier League and sort of Champions League, you know, standard European competitions. But something that is perhaps not the newest of ideas, it's been floating around uh, for a few months, I believe, um, has been talked about, is combination leagues. Now, for those of you who aren't aware, there is talks that the Belgian Pro League and the Dutch Eredivisie are going to combine to form one intercountry league. Now, how this would work, we believe, is that the top teams from each league would be uh, combined into one, while the remaining teams would form a second division, um, which I think could be a very good thing for the competitive nature of those leagues, help them improve their teams and be a bit more of a force in Europe, as we have started to see traditionally large Dutch and Belgian sides sort of fall by the wayside, particularly in European competition. Uh, first of all, Dan, what are your thoughts on this? Yeah, well, like you said, I think it's quite an interesting proposal. Um, I don't really recall anything like it happening before. And um, we should say, you know, it, it's not officially happening yet. I don't think there's any yeah. kind of formal thing set up. It's just, you know, ongoing discussions. But, uh, yeah, yeah I, I, think it's, I think it's very interesting. Um, definitely, you know, you think of the Dutch League, it's very heavily dominated by Ajax. Uh, yeah. You know, the Belgian League as well. There's only two or three teams there that I think regularly kind of challenge for the title. So I think yeah. definitely it could uh, make things a lot more interesting if you combine the two. Yeah, and it would it was certainly would it make them more competitive? Do you think? Is it you know is we going to see perhaps a new European a challenge to the traditional European top five leagues, you know, Spain, Germany, England, Italy, and France? Or do you think that the quality we might not see that for a few years because the quality might not be there just yet? Yeah, I mean, I don't think it's going to you know, become better than La Liga or, you know, the Premier League or anything. Not yet, anyway, you know. Um, you know, it takes a long time for uh, leagues to kind of build up that reputation and the standard of quality. But definitely, I think for the, the clubs involved, it should make them, you know, have greater challenges to, you know, win league titles and to qualify for Europe. So I think it should improve the uh, competitiveness between the teams in that league, which would then in turn, you know, make them more competitive in the Champions League or, you know, the other European competitions they get into. Yeah, certainly. I mean, as we see, you know, I think Ajax might have been the only team between the two countries to make it out of the group stage of the Champions League this season. Um, it's certainly an interesting concept, isn't it? You know, I mean, there's always the argument to be made, would, would that end traditional club rivalries? Um between the leagues, for example, you know, if you look at the Belgian first division, you've currently got Club Bruges, who are right at the top of the table. They've won the league by a massive margin. And I believe it's a playoff place in 16th, this Circle Bruges. And they're, you know, cross-town rivals. They've got a long history of, against each other. You know, Would we see an end to that? Well, I believe, um, from what I've read anyway, that there would still be you know, domestic cup uh, competitions. So even though there'd be a you know a, a league between you know the Netherlands and Belgium, 
there'd still be like a, a Belgium uh, League Cup, essentially, kind of thing. So, you know, they'd still have play each other. It just probably wouldn't be as regular. And if anything, it might, yeah. you know, make those games more exciting because they'd be a lot rarer. Yeah, certainly maybe more fiercely contested as well, seeing as it's knockout. You'd imagine in the cup that perhaps possibly, yeah, that could add, actually add more fuel when they do play each other. But you would be a little bit disappointed to see that spectacle decrease to, you know, to a very regular pattern. Although that saying that, having we do see that in the English uh, tier system for football, don't we? You know, if the two teams are in different leagues but are rivals, how re- how you know how commonly do they play each other? Yeah, exactly. I mean, just a couple examples off the top of my head. You've got um, Southampton and Portsmouth, which kind of, you know, is a, a massive, really, you know, heavily contested rivalry. But they very yeah. rarely play each other because, you know, one's in the Premier League, one's in League One. Uh, yeah. You know, Newcastle, Sunderland, both in the Premier League for a very long time and Sunderland dropped off massively. And now, you know, yeah. I can't even remember the last time they played each other. So I think yeah. these things do happen and, you know, you lose use the Bruges example. You know, if one of them's top of the league and one of them's in 16th, potentially getting relegated, then maybe next season they wouldn't even play each other in the league anyway. So, um, yeah, you know, these things happen. I think it's just, you know, part and parcel of football, really. Yeah. And, though, you know, some talk over the financial side of it as well. You know, it's predicted that this would be of massive benefit um, for all the teams involved. But do you think it might hit the fans a bit more, like considering that the you'd have to expect a, a massive increase in travel. Um, do you think that that is, is actually a case of the fans losing out while the clubs financially gain? Yeah, I mean, definitely it would cost more to travel to a different country to watch a game every week. Um, you never know, you know, the clubs might make more money, so then they might subsidise, you know, the fans' travel expenses, things like that. You know, you don't know how it would break down. Um, you know, certainly... I mean, I mean, how far away is Belgium and Netherlands? I, I know they're obviously they, different countries, but um... uh, I think they are right next to each other geographically. So I, I'm not entirely sure that the geogra- the travel would be much more. Yeah. Um, but but yeah. You, I think considering they are some very small nations, um, it would still be for fans that would speak. Uh, be a lot more yeah you know, potentially travel yeah i mean i i said a quick google maps while you're talking i think to travel from belgium to netherlands it takes about two and a half hours via car according to this which isn't that much really i i, I mean i've traveled much longer than that on away yeah. days in england so i don't think it would be a, a huge difference for fans I mean, it would probably yeah. be different for them, but you know, I don't think it's out of the realms of possibility. Yeah, but you know, it's it's on the you know, will fans also want to make that travel? Like you know, in England, we have a massive focus on away days for those who do go, but the you know, the fo- away day following is almost relative to the size of the club. Um, so, you know, is there still going to be, do you reckon they still have that hype for an away day, considering you're crossing a land border to get it done now? It's almost like an international away day. Do you think that following will stick with them with the formation of this league, or is it going to be something that's like, I personally, I'm, I'm a bit sceptical of it. I think that, you know, 
making that extra travel relative to what you're watching is maybe a bit of a stretch and maybe you won't see as many fans do it. Um, I think that could be quite difficult for fans to get to adjust to. Yeah, I mean, I think it will just depend on the individual fans and the clubs, to be honest. I think most football fans won't mind travelling, you know, an extra amount of hours to go see their football club. You know, I think fans would go anywhere to see them, really. And I think if that's just what becomes the new normal, then that's what they'll have to do. Yeah. Um, However, it did get us thinking, looking at this. Are there any other leagues or perhaps teams from leagues that we'd like to see maybe sort of included in additional leagues. And, you know, the first one we sort of talked about and discussed was Celtic and Rangers being put into the English football pyramid and coming out of the Scottish league. Um, I think that'd be a great benefit, actually, not only to Scottish football, but probably to Celtic and Rangers as well, because respectively they are big clubs in Scotland because they're the only two clubs in Scotland. Like, it's always going to be one of them who wins the league. There's, there's sort of no step away from that. Um, but would it be of more benefit to the other teams in the league, be more competitive for them and allow them to develop if Celtic and Rangers actually went and played their football somewhere else against teams that perhaps on their skill level? Yeah, definitely. I mean, it always comes up for debate. You know, Rangers fans and Celtic fans think they'd probably be, you know, in the top half of the Premier League. Maybe they'd be in the championship in reality. You know, we don't know. Um, you know, we'd have to, you know, find out really. Um, but definitely, I think it'd be interesting, um, even if you just did it for a couple of seasons, you know, just to see where they'd end up. And, you know, if the extra, you know, financial stuff they'd get from being in the Premier League, you know, they might be able to develop their teams even further and actually be challengers in England rather than just yeah. having like an easy run to the title in Scotland. Um, yeah. I think it makes sense, to be honest. Um you know, you think about the English leagues, there's already a bunch of Welsh teams in there. So I don't really see why, you know, we can't have Scottish teams or even, you know, Irish teams. You know, I think it would be yeah. interesting if teams could really opt in to join the, I guess, a British league rather than like a, a Scottish or an Irish league. I think it definitely yeah. would shake up not just the Premier League, but I think the whole of kind of English football, you know, the football league as a whole, I think would be quite interesting to see. Yeah, I think the only thing getting in the way of that is something that came up in terms of the FIFA rulings. And there was talk when there was the, there was talk when in Spain they thought Catalan independence was going to happen. Yeah. Um, and because of FIFA rulings, when you're the main nation, you're allowed one other nation as almost a bolt on to your league. So that is what Wales is, is to the English league at the moment. Is we can have a couple of teams in our league. Um, and it's, but you can only have one nation on the side and this is going to be a problem for Spain because apparently some of their I think it's because the Basque region already has that therefore had Catalonia separated from Spain gone as an independent uh, state then Barcelona and Sos- want to say, is it Sociedad? No Sociedad might be Basque, I'm not too sure on that one, but certainly Barcelona would not have been allowed to play in La Liga uh, because they would be a second second state and therefore they couldn't play in La Liga. Would you know? Is that a ruling that perhaps they should try and look to shift on? Uh, I think so, yeah. It seems kind of just an arbitrary thing, to be honest. 
I can't really think of a good reason for it. Um, I mean, it's it's FIFA as well, so everything can change at any time. I think if there was yeah. enough drive for, you know, a, a British league rather than an English league, then I think they'd be able to get yeah. it done. Or enough money in their back pockets. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> no. um, yeah, it's certainly an interesting story that we'll have to watch to watch and develop. I think it is in talks that if it does happen, that league will be formed in 2024. So we've still got the best part of four years until we see that happening. Um, but will it be a positive thing for football? Not quite sure to say. Is it positive for the clubs and their competitiveness, but not for the fans? I think that's personally what I'm edging towards. But let us know what your thoughts are on Twitter. The handle, our Twitter handle will be in the description of this podcast. And from there, we're going to jump back into the English defensive, uh, English uh, football and look at the weekend's Premier League fixtures. Dan, do you want to take us through the first one? Yeah, so it was a, a much more interesting week of fixtures, I think it's fair to say. Yep. I think uh, we'd like to start with Spurs drawing 2-2 with Newcastle, um, which was a massive, you know, points dropped for Spurs. I think at one point they were winning the game 2-1 and they were in the top four. You know, uh, Newcastle get a late, uh, late equaliser. I think Spurs are down to sixth now, something like that. So it, yes. you know, it goes to show how tight it is up there in... Yeah, Spurs really could not afford to drop points to another team. Yeah, and considering, you know, that it's Newcastle, who are three points above the relegation zone, you would have expected a Spurs side to hold on to that when I think as you know, a larger thing as you'd expect a Jose Mourinho team to hold on to those three points. But you know, when Mourinho was asked, why can't your team, you know, historically your teams are very good at holding on to leads. Why couldn't they do it? He said, same coach, different players. A clear stab at his defence. And after watching that game, you can't really blame him. Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's always been question marks about Mourinho's kind of man management and how he interacts with the players. But, you know, watching the highlights back from that game, when you look at not just the goals that Spurs conceded, but the chances they gave up, it was very just terrible defending, a lot of individual yeah. errors, very disorganised, and it was just kind of, you know, very surprising to see a, a Mourinho side defend that way. And I think, yeah. you know, we, we've definitely talked about Spurs a lot this year, and I think everyone agrees they've got an amazing attack, a pretty good midfield, and a pretty shocking defence. You know, yeah. if, if you've got... Eric Dyer is one of your centre-backs that's played for most of the season. I know he didn't play against Newcastle, but, you know, you're not going to get top yeah. four with him in your squad, I don't think. No, I, and I think one thing I almost almost feel sorry for um, Mourinho is, I mean, one of them was his, he signed uh, Matt Doherty. Um, he's been crap since arriving at Tottenham. Yeah. Um, and Serge Aurier, as we know, is a defensive liability. And he's also playing next to Davidson Sanchez, who also defensive liability. Um, in fact, the only defender I rated in the back four he played against Newcastle, which is Aurier Sanchez, Joe Roden, and Regulon. The only decent defender out of any of them was Regulon, left back. Yeah, and even he, he's much more of a, a wing back than a, a defensive fullback. Yeah. You know, he, I don't think he's the best defender. You know, he's not terrible, but 
he's in the team more for his uh, attacking qualities, I think. But no, definitely, yeah. when you've got three players out of the back four that everyone can kind of see aren't up to the standard, you get that. you're asking for trouble. You know, that they're not going to get at the top four or even get close to winning a trophy or a, a league title with them, I don't think. No, it's, you know, they've got the Carabao Cup final against Man City in, at the end of the month. And defending like that, you'd expect City, they've won it already if Tottenham don't improve defensively. Yeah, I mean, they've got people like um, Toby uh, Alderweireld to come in, yeah. who's a, who is a good defender. You know, he has been for a long yeah. time, but he's getting older as well. Probably hasn't got that many seasons uh, at the top level left. So you kind of think Spurs have got to do a lot of business in that area. Yeah. Yeah, and, you know, but say that with Alderweireld, he seems to be having a bit of an issue with Mourinho because he wasn't in the match day squad, wasn't he on the bench, not... Because apparently he didn't turn up to training, despite there being plenty of evidence to the contrary of what Mourinho has said. So are we witnessing the start of a fallout between Mourinho and his players? Uh, potentially. I, I remember reading about that story, and I think he was a bit of miscommunication and misquoting. I think Mourinho said he only played uh, one training session, and people like misquoted him say he, he didn't train at all. But really, I think it was a case of... Um, the player not being fit enough to play in the, be in the match squad, having only just come back to training, rather than you know Mourinho being like he hadn't trained at all, um, from what I read anyway. Um, yeah. yeah, you know when there's a lot of pressure on a manager, all these stories come out, so it's, it's always hard to actually get the truth. But um, yeah, yeah, I, I, maybe there is a fallout. You know, you never know, but um, you'd hope not because I think Mourinho's going to have to rely on him to kind of get Spurs yeah. across the line or. You know, if they are going to win the League Cup or if they are going to get top four, I think he's going to be a crucial part of it. Yeah. Do you think that Tottenham made a bit of a mistake by not renewing uh, Jan Vertonghen's contract? Do you think he's, even though he is, well, I think 33, 34 now, I still would have put him as one of the better defenders, if not, you know, top two with Alderweireld in that Tottenham squad. And I still think he's got a lot to offer. I think his experience would have been brilliant. Yeah, um, I think the problem is they replaced him with Joe Rodon, who uh, you know could well yeah. become a good player, but he hasn't got that quality yet. You know, he's definitely a lot younger and yeah, you know, a lot less experience and to be honest, a lot less quality. I think if they'd gone out and got you know an experienced, quality, proven centre back to replace um, Vertonghen, I think he would have been fine. But they didn't do that, yeah. so you know that's the problem. It's you yeah. either keep him or you have to replace him. I don't think they did either. They just got yeah. rid of him. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, as we have said, you know, it's incredibly difficult to buy an experienced top-level centre-back at the moment. It's not, it's not easy to do that when you do have to spend a lot of money um, to get one of those players. You know, if you wanted a big name, even the sort of mid-level centre-halves, you're probably looking at thirty to forty million. Um, so it's tricky to get hold of players in that position at the moment. Yeah, definitely. You know, it is hard, you know. Man City were in the market for one. Liverpool have struggled with it all season. So it's yeah. not just Spurs who are having issues at centre-back. I think it's, you know, kind of a, a weird sign of what the transfer market's like these days. Everyone yeah. needs a centre-back and no one can uh, afford them. Yeah. But let's, let's uh, not flog a dead horse for Spurs too much um, and let's, let's talk about positives we saw actually from Newcastle who actually looked like they could have won a game if Joe Linton could hit the target 
yeah um obviously you know he, he did get one goal um yeah but you know i think he could have had a couple others and uh, you know it was good play by newcastle it, it was helped by the the poor spurs defending but yeah i actually think newcastle were unlucky not to win the game to be honest like like you said they definitely could have came away with three points but uh yeah, yeah i think you know, I think they probably could be safe. It just kind of comes down yep. to the the form I think going into the last couple of games because you know Fulham yep. are looking all right. West Brom, who we'll get onto in a minute, have picked up a really good win. So it is it's still yep. all in the air, really. Yeah, I mean Newcastle currently in seventeenth on twenty nine points, so three points ahead of Fulham, and they have a game in hand on Fulham. Um, you know, we always talk about sort of thirty eight points being your safety mark. But 38 points at the moment is 12th. So, yeah. I th- you know, real mathematically, Palace could still go down um, in 18th or 19th, probably not in 20th. But realistically, I think that it's going to be closer to um, the 30, you know, 35 might do it. You know, a lot of these... The you know the the bottom end teams are not winning or even you know snatching a draw. They're getting the odd win, but they're not doing it regularly enough. Uh, Newcastle are definitely struggling with that of you know four draws and a loss in the last five games. They're just not they don't have the quality to defend the lead or to snatch back a goal and turn a tight game into a win from a drawing position. Um, and while I think they'll be okay, I think that is more dependent on Fulham's form and Brighton's form than it is their own. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with you there. I think, you know, it is still up in the air, like I said, in Newcastle. Uh, you know, I've always said they're probably too boring to go down, but um, they have yeah. struggled to get results. And yeah. I think, you know, they do need to just get a couple wins from somewhere. Uh, yeah. But, you know, it's going to be difficult. Um, I think it's really close to calling to be honest i wouldn't really want to put money on any of them you know i think it really no. might come down to just who gets a bit of luck towards the end of the season yeah i mean if you if you look at their running in the premier league they've got burnley away west uh west ham at home liverpool away then they play arsenal at home leicester away man city at home sheffield united at home fulham at home so they play, a, you know, two relegation rivals in the final two games. Um, you know, we can almost say without any doubt, Sheffield United are down. We know they're down. So yeah. they've got a tough run in apart from those two games. But those, you know, they're at that level. So I'd say arguably actually there's a tough run in all the way through. So, you know, seeing Newcastle go down, I'm not, we saw that. About ten years ago, and it it did feel like a falling a falling giant. Watching that, yeah, I mean, I think they're just a mess off the pitch, aren't they? Um, yeah, really badly run club, and it's no surprise to see them struggling. To be honest, they need a new owner. I think that's very clear for everyone. Yeah, um, but you know, I think it will come down to those last two games to decide who stays up. Um, yeah, you know, unless Fulham or Brighton go on some crazy run that. You know they're clear in Newcastle before those two games, but uh, yeah, no, I mean, should lead to an exciting end of the season at least. Yeah, and you know, we say about crazy 
runs will look at our next game. Are we going to see a crazy run from West Brom after they beat Chelsea 5-2? Um, I, I don't know. You know, it's hard to say. I, I think, you know, looking at that game, I think it might just be a, a crazy one-off match. Um, but, you know, you never know. It could be the kind of result that is a springboard uh, for them to really kick on and to end up staying up. Yeah, I mean, it, it was certainly an, a thrilling watch. And, you know, we saw a red card for Thiago Silva, which personally I don't think he, he had too much to complain about. Um, yeah, it was, it was a stupid tackle from him. Yeah, it, was, yeah, it just wasn't a good challenge from an experienced defender who probably should have known better um, at, that, at the position it was. I know it was relatively central, but I don't think from there you should be going diving in anyway. Um defensive shape would have done a pretty good job there just holding shape holding a line and i think the west brom would have been a little bit devoid of ideas and probably have ended up going backwards but you know some great goals scored by west brom where it has to be said yeah definitely you know an assist for the goalkeeper which is always a yeah you know a good thing to see especially from a big sam side yeah but who you know who would believe it eh? a big sam side playing route one yeah Big Sam out tacticking Thomas Tuchel. I never thought I'd see the day. <laughs> no, but I think that breaks a streak, uh, a rather long streak of clean sheets for this Chelsea side on Tuchel at home. Um, which were you surprised to see Chelsea that bad defensively, or do you think that they maybe suffered from Tuchel's decision to rotate players who'd played over the international break? Um, to be honest, I think you know even with ten men. Chelsea should never concede five to West Brom like that. At least not in the manner they did. You know, they kind of threw in the towel a little bit, um, at least in my opinion. Uh, I think they lacked quality. They lacked kind of leadership. And yeah, they had a couple performers that really, you know, had really bad games. But I think just collectively as a team, they didn't perform anywhere near the standards that they should have at Chelsea. Um, yeah. So I think, I think, you know, it's definitely an issue for the manager to have to sort. Um, whether the, it's players' mentalities or, you know, maybe some of them need to go, he needs to bring new ones in, I, you know, I'm not sure. But definitely, you know, you shouldn't lose 5-2 to West Brom, even under those circumstances. Yeah. And, you know, we'll look at West Brom's last eight games. They currently sit on 21 points. Eight games remaining. They're five behind Fulham who are in 18th and eight off Newcastle in 17th. So, you know, they they play Southampton, Leicester, Aston Villa in April, and then they play Wolves, Arsenal, Liverpool, West Ham, and Leeds to round off the season. Do you think they've got a good chance of survival, or do you think they are pretty much down? Um, to be honest, looking at their fixtures, I think they are pretty much down. You know, eight points is a lot to recover from at this stage yeah. of the season, and, you know, I can only see two maybe three of those games that they could possibly win you know they may prove me wrong yeah. but i think that's a pretty tough round of fixtures um yeah you know, i think if they were maybe three points behind newcastle then yeah it's definitely doable but yeah eight, eight points is is a lot at this stage yeah which i think it also brings an end to big sam's streak of never being relegated if i if i remember correctly uh maybe yeah i mean he could just resign before the last game he, he could do that you know we wouldn't be at all almost wouldn't be surprised but um 
you know, West Brom are almost one of those perennial sort of yo-yo clubs. They come up for a season, they go back down, they spend a couple of seasons in the championship, they rebuild, they come back up, they stay there for a season or two, they go back down. Um, and they all, they're almost always involved in sort of the promotion relegation battle between every other season. So do is it do we expect to see much of the same? Do we almost think they'll bounce back? Or do you think that, you know, we might just see him. This is probably the worst West Brom side I've seen in the Premier for a few years. Yeah, I mean, they were in the Premier League for quite a while, weren't they? When they had um, yeah. Tony Pulis as manager yeah. for, for a number of years, he was able to keep them up. And you know, obviously, they changed him uh, when they were looking to kind of change their style of football. It didn't really yeah. work out for them. But um, I, I think because they were in the Premier League for several years, I think they probably have uh, a really good financial setup behind them especially for the championship. Yep. So I would expect them to, you know, be at least competing for promotion again next year if they do get relegated. Yeah. Yeah. And are we expect to see maybe the same from Fulham as well. If they, if let's assume this bottom three stays the same, do we expect Fulham to come straight back up next season? Or is it a case of maybe they'll need a couple of seasons to rebuild? Uh, possibly. Obviously they came up through the, the playoffs last year. Um, instead yep. of the automatic. So I, th- I think maybe they're, less secure as um some of the other teams but um yeah definitely i think fulham you know are a good club that run pretty well they've got a really good manager in scott parker so i think even if they don't get promoted next season um assuming they get relegated again i think fulham actually do have a decent chance of staying up um yeah i think you know they'll be back in a couple of years at, at the most yeah yeah well as fun as it is to talk about the relegation battle, because it always gets hotly contested. We're going to move on to the final game from the weekend that we picked out. It's one that we predicted last week. Um, it's Liverpool versus Arsenal in the race for a European spot. And this was, as a Liverpool fan, wonderful to watch. A wonderful game. I really thoroughly enjoyed watching this one. Yeah, must make a, a nice change for you to watch Liverpool yeah. look like Liverpool. <laughs> yes. Yes, it was a thoroughly enjoyable game to watch. Um, it just what Liverpool looked comfortable. Uh, they looked so comfortable against an Arsenal side that really, to me, didn't look like they were up to too much. Um, I think the Fabinho being moved back into midfield has been such a positive for Liverpool. They've looked so much better with Fabinho in midfield. Yeah, definitely. I think you know now that they've kind of got that spine or at least part of their spine back. Um, yeah. I think they look like a, a different team. They look like the Liverpool we all know. and Well, I wouldn't say love, because I'm sure a lot of teams yeah. don't love them, but uh, I, I, I certainly enjoy watching them. Um, yeah. <laughs> no, it was good to see. I think Arsenal, like you alluded to, were pretty terrible. But uh, yeah. no, it's, it's good to have Liverpool kind of getting back to their best, I think, anyway, yeah. for the competitiveness of the league. Um also, one thing I wanted to uh, point out was uh, Trent Alexander-Arnold's performance. Obviously, he was left yeah. out of the England squads. It's a heavily discussed issue. I think he showed everyone exactly why he's one of England's best players, let alone their best right-back. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's weird in a way. He's almost not quite a right-back, is he? he? He's something a bit more. I wouldn't say his position is right-back. He, I mean, obviously, that's why he plays. That's but how he runs that role is something we haven't quite seen before because he can run a game from that position. I mean, he's done it a few times. He's just run the game from right back and there's not many players who could do that. Yeah, definitely. He's a very unique talent. 
and I think there's been a lot of debate in the week between you know people of whether or not he should be in the in the England squad, and um, yeah, uh, for me, I think I think he definitely should be. Yeah, um, yeah, he, he it was a standout performance from him. I think you know Fabinho back into midfield has was is a great move as well as it allows Thiago to not worry so much about the defensive side of his game. So hopefully he's going to start making more of an impact going forward. Um, Jota has you know returned to the squad over the last couple of weeks and he doesn't he's you know come back with the same form he was showing before his injury which is fantastic yeah definitely and he, he takes a lot of the pressure off of you know Salah Mane Firmino as well to have him come back in and chip in with the goals that uh, they they were missing for a while yeah yeah it's um Oh, it's just so good to see him back and have a fit and, you know, a firing player. Because, you know, the, without him, the front three did was starting to look a bit toothless. Um, which I didn't, you know, it was difficult to watch. Um, but as we say, Liverpool are in the battle for a European spot. And in the Premier League, they've got the remaining games are Villa, Leeds, Newcastle, United, uh, Manchester United, Southampton, West Brom, Burnley and Crystal Palace. Do you see Liverpool making... Perhaps not the top four, but you know, maybe pipping Chelsea or Tottenham to that fifth position for at least Europa League football. Because I have to say, as Liverpool fan, the way it's been this season, that almost has to be seen as successful. Sustained European football is actually, with what we had, that's a successful season. I mean, to be honest, I could see them getting into the top four. You know, you look at those yeah. fixture lists, I think apart from Manchester United and maybe Leeds, you know, I think that's a pretty you know, favourable run of fixtures for Liverpool. I could see them winning the vast majority of them. I could even, I could still be see them, you know, beating Manchester United. Um, yeah. And I, they're only three points off fourth. Um, you know, they're, uh, yeah. well, they're seven points off third, so maybe they can't catch Leicester, but definitely can end up fourth place. You know, I, I think I said yeah. it last week or the week before, you know, this Liverpool team, when they've got people fit, they can go on runs where they win nearly every game they play. And looking at those fixtures, I could definitely see them going on a run and getting back yeah. at the top four. Um, but no, yeah. I, I do agree that if they even got fifth or sixth, I, I think that would be a, a fantastic result considering what's happened this year. Yeah. And, you know, speak Liverpool, we shat on Tottenham earlier and I think now it's time to shit on Arsenal um, in the interest of fairness. Um, yeah, yeah. This process that Arteta has going on that we sort of lauded a few weeks back, said that Arsenal was starting to look like quite a good team. Where did it? Go, well, why did it go wrong? Is there some? Is it maybe that it was just an average team in a good patch of form that we saw? Or is it just that you know they did the players just didn't cope with Liverpool? Or is it just Arsenal? Need, maybe this revamp isn't working quite as well as we thought it was. Yeah, I mean, I think Arsenal have been inconsistent all season, really. You know, they've gone through patches, um, even going back to last year, actually, where Arteta looked like he got them back playing a good style of football or, you know, he had them back being defensively solid for a while and then it would all go wrong. And I think maybe that's what's happening again, you know. They put in an amazing performance against Spurs, although, again, that was a particularly poor performance from Spurs um, as well. Yeah. So maybe people overestimate how good Arsenal were based off of how poor Spurs were in that game. But I think, you know, there's definitely issues at Arsenal, which we've talked about before. You know, a lot of players that are underperforming, a lot of good young players, which maybe need to get more minutes. But definitely, I think they're being let down by their kind of senior pros. You know, you look at Aubameyang, 
you know, he was terrible against Liverpool. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, that's that's what you get when you turn up to the game with that haircut, but, you know. Yeah, he it, didn't help himself. No, but, you know, if we look at Arsenal's running, they're currently 10th in the league, 42 points. They play Sheffield United, Fulham, Everton uh, in April, Newcastle, West Brom, Chelsea, Crystal Palace and Brighton. So they've got a reasonably easy running, but do you see them really pushing for those European positions, like which you think a club of Arsenal's size should be there? Do you think they're pushing for that, or do you think that mid-table is where they're going to have to sit this season? Uh, to be honest, I think they'll be in mid-table. Um, I, I do yeah. agree that that's a good run of fixtures, and they could win a lot of them, but I just think there's too many teams ahead of them with more points than that, that they're not going to catch all of them. You know, yeah. I, I don't think all of Aston Villa, Everton, Liverpool, Tottenham, or Chelsea are all going to slip up. You know, I think to that extent, that exactly, they need to yeah. slip up anyway. Yeah, yeah. So I, I, I think it's too much for Arsenal. In yeah, I, yeah, I wouldn't trust Arsenal to win those games like I would trust Liverpool to. You know, I think Arsenal. Yeah. You know, they could one day beat Spurs and then go and lose to Newcastle. You know, they're very, yeah. very inconsistent. Yeah, but do you think that would be something that would? may be good for Arteta's process going into next season, not having to worry about European football, because we know that the English domestic football calendar is heavily congested with, you know, the Premier, you've got 38 games in the Premier League, you've got the Carabao Cup, you've got the FA Cup, you know, there's a lot of football to be played, and maybe would not having European football next season actually help them going forward? Potentially. They are, of course, still in the Europa League this season. So that would yeah. probably affect their um, league running as well. And of course, if they were to win the Europa League, they'd be in the Champions League, which um, I, I don't think they're ready for that. But to be honest, I think their priority is actually going to be winning the uh, the Europa League rather than trying to get a European yeah. place through the league. So, um, yeah, it's hard to say, but uh, I do agree that I think if they just had the league to focus on, um, it would give them a much better shot of maybe getting six or seven because, you know... I think even if they did good business in the summer, I, I wouldn't expect them to get fourth next season. Yeah, and I think it's also highly unlikely to expect Arsenal to do good bus business during a transfer window. Yeah, there, there is also that. Yeah. So, after talking about the games just gone, it's probably best we look forward to some big games at the weekend. Now, traditionally, when we talk about the top four race, you don't think of these two sides too often. But, you know, the first one picked out actually is uh, West Ham versus Leicester. You know, two teams into a new look top four at the moment and West Ham being powered through by just a sensational team spirit at the moment. Uh, Jesse Lingard scored an incredible goal against Wolves uh, last night. Um, this could be a really close game. Certainly a very interesting one. Yeah, definitely. Um, like you said, it's two teams that we probably didn't expect to be in this position. Um, I mean, maybe we did Leicester, but uh, definitely not West Ham. You know, I think they've done brilliantly to get where they are, and I don't see any reason why they couldn't beat Leicester and you know give themselves an even greater chance of getting top four. Yeah, yeah, I'd have to agree with you there. I think you know, I mean, Leicester have been reasonably solid. Um, West Ham have been a little bit shaky at times. You know, they've lost to drawn 1-2 one, one, in the last five games. 
um, actually saying that on going in the last five games, that's the same form as Leicester. So it, I think it really is going to be down to who, which team turns up. Um, at, you know, turns up on the day because they both can be very solid defensively, but as you know, certainly as West Ham are showing now, they can be lethal on the attack. Yeah, definitely. I think it will be an even game, and it it might just come down to which you know individual players play better on the day. You know, I don't know if James Madison's fit for Leicester still. I know he's on the bench in their last game, but you know, it could be a case of a battle between him and Lingard to see who can really have the biggest impact on the game. Um, yeah. Definitely, I think it'll be a really good watch. Um, you know, a lot better than a lot of the other uh, big games we've seen this year. I think anyway. Yeah, highly highly competitive, and you know Leicester probably, you know, assuming nothing too drastic happens, Leicester you'd think would be guaranteed, almost guaranteed Champions League football alongside uh, City and Manchester City and Manchester United, because you know you don't can't don't see those two teams dropping out of the top four, so it is almost West Ham have a bit more drive to win that game. Because the yeah, battle, I, agree, yeah. I think, is certainly for fourth at the moment, um, with the te- the form that the other three have shown, West Ham, re- and certainly what it mean for them as a club to be back, you know, to be in a Champions League uh, position come the end of the season. But I think even Europa League would be fantastic for West Ham. Yeah, definitely. There, there is that factor. But, of course, last year, Leicester City looked like they were comfortably going to get top four and then massively dropped off in the sort of last quarter of 10 games, I think. So... Yeah. I think there will be that motivation from Leicester to make sure that doesn't happen. Because I think if they were yeah. to lose to West Ham, you know, suddenly they've you know, lost to Man City on the weekend, lost to West Ham, you know, they lost two games in a row, and then suddenly, you know, the nerves start creeping in and they think, oh no, not again, it's going to happen again this year. Um, yeah. So, you know, I, th- I think there will be a lot of motivation from either side. But uh, no, I, for me personally, I think I actually fancy West Ham for this one. I don't know about you. Yeah. Yeah, I th- I'm I'm going to say two one to West Ham. Personally, I'm going to go for two one. Although that I'm doing that because I probably I'd just like to see West Ham win it. Um, as damaging as that would be for Liverpool, I think for West Ham to take the points, particularly if we don't if we don't take any, um, which I expect us to. So, but if we if we were to drop points, that would be damaging. But yeah, I think the run they've been on, some of the team spirit that West Ham have shown it would be good to see them uh, take the points against Leicester. Yeah, I agree. I, I think, it, again, it will only be one goal in it, but I actually think it will be 1-0 to West Ham, which uh, might be surpri- surprising because they've conceded a fair amount of goals lately, but yep. I know, I've just got a feeling it's going to be one of those really tight 1-0s. Yeah, yeah. certainly I think it's going to be a tactically, uh, tactically enthralling game between, you know, Brendan Rodgers and David Moyes as well, and Moyes, you know, proving his credentials as Premier League manager, mate, restoring a bit of that reputation that got took a hammering after his time at Manchester United. So, you know, it's, it's I think I think it's definitely arguably the game of the weekend to watch. If the other game we have picked out wasn't also a top four race, uh, Tottenham versus Manchester United. Yeah, um, again, it should be a really interesting game. The uh, the last one was certainly interesting right back at the start of the season. Yeah. Um, you know, kind of surprising that Man United have done so well since that match. 
yeah. but no, I think it, it should be really interesting. Obviously, Mourinho going against Man United's former club. And yeah, I, I think it tends to be a really interesting game in general. Um, I don't know if you saw Man United's last game against Brighton. Um, in the end, they won the game 2-1, but I thought they looked quite dreadful for most of it, to be honest. Um, yeah. So even as, as bad as Spurs were defensively against Newcastle, I think you know, this game will be a lot tighter than maybe the league uh, table suggests. Yeah, you know, as we said, I think United have got to make the most of their attack. This is what wins it for United. Um, Spurs look defensively frail at the moment. Um, you know, if United can't afford to sit back and be conservative, particularly not with the attacking talent they have. So, yeah, I think I think if Manchester United try and seize the initiative in this game, I think they will conquer a rocky Tottenham defence. Um, having said that, if they leave themselves open to a counter, we know what Spurs can do. We've seen them, they've done it in various games throughout the season, that the count, their counter-attacking at times just can be lethal, particularly when you've got Kane and Son and Gareth Bale playing. Yeah, definitely. Um, for me, I'm probably going against better judgment in a sense, but uh, for, I don't know why, but I actually fancy Spurs to win this one. Um, again, I don't really know why, but uh, I've not really been a huge fan of Man United over the last couple of weeks. I think they've you know, dropped off in terms of their performances. And to be fair, I think throughout the whole season, they've obviously got good results, but I don't think they've played anywhere near as well as they could have with the players they've got. Um, yeah. So for me, I, again, I think it's going to be close, but I think there might be a lot of goals in it. I think I could see it being like a, a free two to uh, Spurs. It's, it's interesting because I'm not convinced on Tottenham's defence. Uh, I, I was going to go 2-2. I think Spurs are in for another draw. Um, partly because I still just can't bring myself to predict in Manchester United's favour. Um, I don't think I'll ever be able to do it. But I think, you know, as you say, Manchester United, despite their attacking talent we alluded to, um, haven't looked great, you know, going forward. They've looked a bit lacklustre. Um, and they have patches when they do this, you know, they have patches that they just kind of don't, it doesn't quite click. Um as well as they've got European football on Thursday to contend with, gives Spurs more preparation time. Um, I would be surprised if United came out as much as I'd like to see them do it, because I think that's their best bet at winning the game. I'd, I'd be surprised if they came out all guns blazing. Um, but we, as I said, Harry Kane is in sensational form. He can win a game for Tottenham by himself. You know, he could have had a hatch. He could have put three past Newcastle and hit the post, unfortunately, not to have his hat not to have his hat trick. So you know, I, I think I'm gonna go for a draw on this on two two. Yeah, no, I, I definitely think it'll be tight. I like I said, I think there'll be a lot of goals in it. I just think maybe whether it's I don't know, something Mourinho does or again if it's just Harry Kane turns up, I think Spurs will just yeah. find something to get them over the edge against United. Yeah, and Son's just coming back into fitness as well. So yeah. he started on the bench against Newcastle, but I, I'd expect to see him start. The impact he has on the pitch as well is, you know, something you you, you can't not consider that. Yeah, I, I think Spurs just have more to play for as well. You know, United yeah. are not going to drop out of the top four, but they're not going to win the title either. So I think Spurs will have that extra motivation to make sure they get a, a European spot next year.
Yeah, yeah, you know, they're just outside, they're two points off fifth at the moment, and as you said earlier, three points behind West Ham in fourth, so should the West Ham-Leicester game go their way, that could see them climb into the top four, um, or, or, you know, jump up at least a space into a European position, so... You know, we just have to wait and see how that game goes. But for Tottenham, I think it's going to be thoroughly, thoroughly interesting. Yeah, no, I, I agree. Yeah, but as always, we will have to wait for the weekend for those games. You know, it's a bit of a long wait. They're going to be such interesting games. But until then, there's always plenty of Champions League football to keep an eye on, which I'm starting tonight, which I'm sure they're going to be thoroughly interesting games. But until then, we'll talk about them next week. and have to keep you waiting. Until then, we'll see you then.